Hello and welcome to the first ICAW Insights podcast of 2023. I'm Philippa Lamb. This time we're exploring what 2023 might hold for the UK economy and of course the business world. Now while 2020 and 21 were dominated by the urgency of the pandemic, last year was altogether different. A raft of economic and political pressures collided at home and abroad and uncertainty is still the universal watchword as we look at the year ahead. Many of the trends that kick-started 2022, inflation, rising interest rates and stalling growth are expected to continue. But for how long and how significantly and what fresh surprises might the new year bring? So for a spot of expert crystal ball gazing, I'm joined by the same team of guests who reviewed last year for us in our Christmas episode. Francis Hawk, Chief Economist at Santander UK, Ian Wright, ICAW Managing Director of Reputation and Influence, and David Williamson, political editor of the Sunday Express. Welcome all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, look, you all did sterling work reviewing and analysing 2022 in our last podcast. Before we look ahead, shall we assess where we are now? And briefly, Francis, where are we economically? Uh, I would say in a downturn, if you want to be brief about it. But yes, things are not looking uh, rosy from a growth perspective, let's say. But hopefully, looking forward, the markets will remain calm, which obviously they weren't doing in 2022, and uh, things will start to improve towards the end of the year. I should say at this point, we are recording this just ahead of January, so um, <laughs> you'll have to bear with us if we uh, if we miss any significant events that happen in the meantime. But David, politically, where are we? We're in a position where there's a young, thrusting Conservative leader who's got a giant majority, and there is a great confrontation with um, the forces of, of the left in the trade unions showing a new degree of militancy. Now, and those actually are the type of situations that I think a lot of people who um, dream of becoming Conservative MPs think, wow, that, that's a, a great battle for the ages. And uh, they think back to Thatcher's era. I think, wow, this could be the propulsion for great things in normal circumstances. Problem is, this isn't normal circumstances at all. And there is this chasm of an opinion poll lead that Labour has over them. And it isn't that there's been a transformation in how the public perceive Keir Starmer, but it's rather been that 2022 has been a case study of how to sabotage a party that has weathered spectacular storms in the past. And Rishi's mission, really, is to whether or not he can stop the water coming in and get it to a safe port of shore in time for next year's elections, which are looming so close in everybody's minds. Partly because of self-interest as well, because if you think that the economy is very bad and that your party is getting the blame for everything and you're likely to lose your seat, the employment options to be blunt, for a lot of MPs, are going to be quite difficult. So one MP said to me, if by March things haven't narrowed, everyone is going to be a fight of every man for himself or woman for himself or herself. So they'll jump ship? Not just jumping ship, but just going into pure survival mode and the type of febrile frenzies that we have seen producing very unpredictable results over the last three years <laughs> could manifest themselves in new ways. Yeah. Ian, business sentiment, you track it, where is it? It's low, it's in negative territory, we're probably not at the bottom of that. If you look over a 20-year period, because that's how long ICAW has had a business confidence monitor index, we're not in 2008 negative territory when 
confidence was really, really low. But there's been a sharp trajectory fall from the heights of real optimism coming out of the pandemic. We're on a par now with sort of pandemic levels, Philippa, and we're on a par with that uncertainty that was happening round about 2019 as the UK was coming out of the European Union and what that would look like. But we're probably, as I said, not at the bottom. 2023, we'll see much sharper falls. And actually, we're probably in recession as this podcast goes out. What do we know, Ian, that will happen in 2023? Have we got, you know, do we have key events that we know are in the calendar? I mean, in terms of what the Bank of England might do, I think businesses are factoring in further interest rate rises, certainly in the first half of 2023. In terms of general economic policy, what's really interesting is how government is trying to use regulatory policy as a big, big, significant arm of economic growth policy. 2023 will mark the fifth anniversary of the Carillion crisis and you know audit reform has still not been finalized i know we've had a a global pandemic but are we going to see some sort of resolution when it comes to audit reform and corporate governance changes but also there could be the prospect of regulation of the tax profession and what's going through it's just actually finished the house of commons at the moment is the financial services uh, and marketing bill what does our financial services sector an incredibly important part of the UK economy, something that we're world-class at. What does that look like post-Brexit? And so making sure that some of the regulators um, have an object in law to push forward our competitiveness as a sector for the UK economy over the medium term. As I said, the, the UK government will be trying to use regulation as a means of driving forward competitiveness. David, politically thinking, we've got local elections coming up. We, we do in, in May, and um, it's still uh, technically, I suppose, midterm-ish. That means that we'll probably have um, party sources giving absolutely dire predictions. Local elections are fascinating. It's the one thing where the parties compete to have the worst possible predictions. And so that any surprise win is then held off as a triumph that the rest of the nation is swinging behind. Indeed. Yeah. So there'll be probably lots of attempts to extrapolate that. But actually, to be honest, the real results that probably Rishi is going to be more worried about are are going to be economic indicators and not necessarily things like GDP, because in a way, suddenly house prices are like the personal GDP of a household. It's it's how wealthy and how well off people feel. And we have a, a generation that's been on this incredible exercise in, in putting faith in the law that house prices in Britain now always go up and that interest rates are low. And it's a crisis of faith. It, it, it's, it's almost, it, it's, a, it's a thunderclap in psychologically. Yes. Uh, which um, so many people in uh, between the ages of about 25 and 55 are suddenly grappling with this incredible change. And to be honest, if they have the sense that their own GDP is going through the floor, that's going to be the, the biggest worry for any party that wants to stay in power. So a real psychological risk there. And obviously, zooming out, we've got big events rolling on this year. We've got the war in Ukraine continuing. It's going to have such a determinative effect. There are people who are optimistic about this year. And one of the key reasons for optimism is if Ukraine can be resolved peacefully, if it looks as if Russia is looking for a way out, and if somehow, in this game of awful four-dimensional chess, if some way can be found that allows some sort of, of soft landing, 
But at the same time, I think there's an equal number of people who are fully aware of the potential for nightmares to be realised on a scale that we've never seen in Europe since World War II. And the Northern Ireland Protocol, that's still under negotiation? It is. And you, you wonder if it's the type of thing that will be under negotiation for years to come. But recently there has been a little more optimism. There is a sense that um, the Biden administration might be perhaps playing a more positive role, actually seeing there's a deal to be done. Um, the problem is every size, whether it's Europe or Washington or London or Dublin or Belfast, every side has actually some political gain from a bit of a conflict over this issue because they were able to play to different bases on this. But there's um, a new Northern Ireland envoy appointed, um, which is seen as a very positive step. They can grease the wheels a bit. And also Macron's had his election. And uh, yes, and, and Sunak, I think, very much wants to project a more positive, can-do, pragmatic, problem-solving thing. So when we're faced with so many problems that we have absolutely no ability to solve, to actually get a win in the book would be great. And it's also tied into domestic UK politics in a very real way in that you know, Northern Ireland doesn't have a functioning government and for so much of its recent history hasn't. Indeed. And there, there is the mantra of defending the Good Friday Agreement. But in Northern Ireland, there is certainly the sense of, well, we, we do need a functioning democracy. So, Francis, if we're thinking economically, perhaps globally and then closer to home? Yes, yeah, so I think globally, I mean, we would, we're expecting a slowdown. Um, and, you know, that's, that's inevitable, I think, in terms of uh, the US economy. Um, well, weathered it much better than the UK one. But equally, the feeling is there will be a mild recession there and and in other places. And therefore that and obviously China is having a problem as well. So you sort of put all of it together and you think from a global perspective, that will be challenging. And of course, despite the fact that there is this push for deglobalisation, you know, we are still all very much a global market. So any effect of a slowdown in other economies would, of course, affect our own economy and our ability to trade. But in terms of closer to home and the UK economy, I mean, this year is going to be difficult. And I'm sure that everyone feels that as well. It's been very interesting. I think we might have noted this in the last podcast, but around savings and things like that, that people have... You know, we all thought that people, and I think businesses too, thought that those savings would start to be spent. Well, they haven't. The people are holding on to them. And that generally suggests they're very worried about what might happen. And also, you know, we know from credit card data, people aren't putting as much on their credit cards. So they are genuinely worried about how they're going to pay for all these things. So from this year, I think, you know, spending will be hard. Having said that, inflation obviously is the area of probably most concern because we don't know what's going to happen to energy prices. The hope is that they'll obviously start to flatten. They, well, they won't increase. They'll start to flatten and then, and then fall back, and that will obviously help inflation. But equally, we need to look more internally at our, you know, what's happening to wages in the UK and is that going to drive inflation too? Because that is, uh, I think I said in the last podcast, very difficult for the Bank of England, then they'll feel it's more necessary if that's increasing to keep going with bank rates. It sounds like that's what you think is going to happen. In a normal recessionary environment, you would expect the labour market to start to ease. And that's the question. Is it going to ease? Because we've got problems with inactivity. So long term sick has increased immeasurably. And we know early retirement has been increasing. But could it be the early retirement actually that reverses because people need to come back to work because they need 
the money in order to be able to live? That's an interesting question. I think on the sort of on the long term sickness side, it's very difficult because I suspect a lot of that is um, connected both to you know long COVID, but also to long wait lists, and it takes going to take time obviously to get through those. And very interestingly, a piece of work actually that someone in my team has has recently done, which is focusing on the fact that these long term sick are younger people. I mean that should be a serious concern to all of us because you know given that we have an aging population. If we've got even younger workers out because they're not able to, um, you know, go to their jobs because they're sick, that's a real problem for the, for the future. That's, that's a real in, shift. Back in the yes. day, it was musculoskeletal was the was the key driver of absenteeism, wasn't it? Now it's mental health. Mental health a lot of the time. And the age demographic mm. much lower, as you say. Yeah, that's that's a big change. I mean, Ian, business conditions. We've obviously got the energy crisis very much still with us. If you look at our economy. In quite simplistic terms, you know, in line with other mature Western democracies, our economy is based upon domestic consumption. And certainly in the UK, our domestic consumption, if you're a homeowner, has had the backdrop of you know cheap credit, cheap interest rates and expectations of ever rising house prices, feeling that sense of well-being and prosperity. That seems to have gone. You know, higher interest rates, possibility, if not happening already, of house price falls means that people don't feel confident in the future and therefore won't invest maybe in a larger house, a conservatory, home improvements, that sort of thing. Won't spend money. Linked in with that, of course, is people don't have the money to spend. Energy prices, inflation in general, has meant that that level of disposable income has been cut to a, a very, very low level. So, you know, the factors of economic growth in the UK have been very much curtailed and will continue to be so through 2023. And last year, Ian, we talked about the cost of doing business crisis, didn't we? I mean, that's certainly persisting on various fronts. Well, I was really interested in what Francis was having to say about the labour market. And it's the UK's labour market is incredibly tight. I think I said in the last podcast, throughout 2022, businesses were telling me, we don't have the staff. We could grow a bit further. We could do a bit more, but I can't get the staff. I think that tightness will probably remain. And I think what the Bank of England, the governor and the chief economist have been very strong in saying that inflation was not caused, was not invented in the UK. Of course, we imported it through Ukraine, through supply chain difficulties. But it might grow up throughout 2023 here in the UK. The second round effects of wage claims, and you know, quite understandably, with a 10% inflation rate, people want to get high pay claims. That tightness of the labour market, you tend to get a pay increase more or less when you move jobs. So people might be looking to move jobs to get that higher wage. So you, I think you're going to see some element of that come through. But as you say, I mean, we, we're starting the year with industrial action across the board. Yes. I mean, the unions are concerned about changes to terms and conditions, as well as that cost of living crisis. And there will be a battle between employers and government on that. What's interesting, though, is to what extent for certain sectors of the economy, whether that might not have had the impact that it might have had pre-pandemic, because people can work from home. If you're on a construction site, you can't. It, you know, If you work in a supermarket, you can't. But professional and business services, 
can be quite mobile. I'm, you know, I'm speaking to you from Northumberland. I go to London, but I don't have to go to London all the time. And I just wonder whether we'll see that really embed. People thought that it might have been a long-term factor, but I just wonder whether it's going to be really, really embedded now. Yeah, that structural change. I mean, I know you have a thought about that playing into levelling up. Well, I just wonder, I mean, the house price issue is a factor because I don't think there's the level of demand. But, you know, and again, this is very simplistic, bit stereotypical, really, Philippa. But, you know, you could be sat, you know, two bedroom flat in London and then you could go and buy, you know, quite a substantial country pile somewhere else, you know, Yorkshire, the North East, that sort of thing. People would be very tempted about if, you know, if I'm in my stage in my career, I could still do work. I can work from home. I can use the broadband and Wi-Fi, but I don't have to be in London. If you're slightly older, you're slightly more advanced in your career, you might be able to do that. That might have an impact in terms of levelling up. What we've seen since the pandemic, we saw it very clearly in the regional factors of business confidence monitoring, was London drives the UK economy traditionally. It's Position as a global city means that it, in terms of productivity, it just helps propel our economy forward. Hasn't done that from COVID onwards. People are not going into London quite so much. They're not spending in the bars, the sandwich shops, the restaurants. People aren't tending to go to the theatre, even with a relatively weak pound and the tourist market. The growth in regions tend to be outside of London. And I wonder whether that could be a sustainable factor in the future. Yeah, I mean, Francis, all the things that Ian's been talking about, there, I mean, that plays into the commercial property market. We've talked about residential, but... I think the view for, for that is, is relatively bleak, certainly over the next year. And it'll be interesting. What will be interesting is how companies are able to deal with that and what are they going to do instead? I mean... I mean, I can only give sort of antidotal evidence, you know, back in Wimbledon, which is where I live. We've actually seen more office space come through because I think there's more demand for it at a regional type level, if you see what I mean, rather than going into London, you're you're using it more locally, which is, of course, helping local businesses. But equally, you're also seeing a lot of change of use of other spaces. So, you know, in particular retail, sort of turning into more social type use. So whether that might be, you know, gaming and things like that for the younger generation or more sort of restaurants and things like that. But it's quite interesting. I think it's you know, going back to, to to Ian's point, it's going to be quite different, I think, for commercial property, depending where you are. And I think London might struggle more than perhaps in other places. You might see better regional outlays rather than, you know, where we are in London. And of course, that's a very segmented sector, isn't it? When you think about, you know, regional distribution, distribution warehouses, I mean, all that you would imagine would do quite nicely with our digital economy. But it's the it's the urban um, holdings, isn't it? Yes, I think it's 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 what use do you have, and that will be interesting to see whether that starts to get switched. Because I mean, we know that there's been a lot of warehouses, for example, who obviously have developed over the last well eighteen months. Really, there's been a real push demand. for that to meet yeah. demand because people are obviously buying a lot more online. So it'll be interesting. I, I would have thought a lot of change of use maybe needs to come through. So David, the Sunak government, what can we expect? Yes, I, th- I think maintaining stability will be one of the number one things, absolutely. It's, it's a bit like how 
uh, you know, for, for most people, they don't wake up in the morning and start thinking about the, the future of their politicians. But it's a bit like when you get on a train and this happens to be the other day or a tube. Suddenly, you, it, it's a journey you've done hundreds and hundreds of times and the thing starts swaying from side to side. And you, you suddenly think, well, actually, you know, I, do, do you look at the driver when you get on your train? What, what's going on here? And I think there's a feeling that the British people have had an experience of a lot of swinging from side to side. And if they simply have a beautiful, smooth journey, um, that will be a great success. And I think there has been very much, in it, certainly in the last um, few weeks, an attempt to actually take the drama out of politics. It, people, I think Rishi Sunak would be very happy if other stories lead the Today programme, for example, for quite a while, because it isn't a sign of a very stable democracy if there's a constant sense that it might erupt. And people love these little phrases that come through, but uh, just as um, whoever coined the term Brexit, if they copyrighted that, would be a billionaire by now, the phrase which was creeping in recently was brittily which is the idea... Sorry, say again? Brittily. Brit- right. There's this idea that Britain is becoming Italy, that we are changing our leaders regularly, that the constituent parts are thinking very seriously about breaking up, which... Um, yeah, fragmentation, yeah. Absolutely, which, again, is a major thing, which if, if Rishi has any spare bandwidth to think about, he does need to think seriously about Scotland yeah. and also to about how to manage the whole border poll question in Northern Ireland, which will come onto the agenda in a big way sometime probably in the next five years. Um, so, if, however, if he can simply have a Britain where people might have the hope of a summer holiday, his one advantage, actually, is that we are... Monty Python says no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. We are expecting horrendous monsters behind it's every true, door. yes. <laughs> Our expectations are low. We're in a jittery state. And if he manages to get through to spring... And we, we, we do see optimistic uh, economists regularly talking about, well, actually, maybe things might not be quite so bad. In... Green shoots. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, of course, the problem was John Major's green shoots that became a, a sense of parody, which dogged the tail end of his government lead up to the 1997 landslide. But if those green shoots actually do emerge, he will put the microscope on them and actually a lot of people will breathe a deep sigh of relief. OK, quick round table. Biggest hope, biggest fear for the year ahead. Francis. Well, my biggest hope is I'm wrong in my um, forecast. Right. And I, and I don't often, you know, I don't often say that. No. So, uh, but yes, that would be my biggest hope. But my biggest, f- well, my biggest fear is actually one of the strike action and just how long that might go on for because that really feeds into people's sentiment and that would be a worry because the economy really drives on confidence. You know, we've heard Ian talking about business confidence. It's so important and it's at record lows. And I think things like strikes just don't help. And let's hope we don't have any more any blackouts either. Yes, it's all a very visible sign of the problems we know are there, isn't it? Because you're encountering strikes and industrial action in your day-to-day life, wherever you are. Uh, David? Probably hope and fear is actually probably both centred on, on Ukraine because if there is an expectation that um, during the winter things may calm down simply because of the strategic thing of it's intensely cold weather and the hope would be that actually that isn't just a climactic thing but is actually a strategic thing with somehow um, some resolution that leads to a speedy peace. The fear would be that Putin actually responds to his own internal pressure and feels the need to have one more giant heave, and which could be cataclysmic. And there is the fear that um, in terms of worst-case scenarios, we, we have 
not seen anything that could happen on that degree, yes. Yes, that would be the end of your talk of a stable year, wouldn't it? It would be. Ian, biggest hope, biggest fear? They're both the same thing, Philippa. My hope and fear is inflation. I hope that you see a spike in inflation and it comes down fairly rapidly. David's talk about the Ukraine, about making sure that, you know, some of the the supply of energy is addressed. That would be my hope. My reading of history is that inflation doesn't act like that, that it hangs around. It's a real negative and corrosive force harming everybody, particularly those who are most vulnerable in terms of economic situation. (laughs) But it harms every business. It harms every citizen. And as I said, the lessons of history show that inflation hangs around far too long. So I hope that the bank and others can get inflation firmly under control. It's not entirely under the bank's control, but we really do need to tackle inflation for the good of the economy, for the good of business, but actually for the good of 60-odd million people in this country. Ian, Francis, David, thank you very much for joining us again and sharing your predictions. It's not an easy task right now. We're grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. As always, the ICAW Insights podcast will be staying on top of events that matter to finance professionals with news and analysis throughout this year. You can catch the next Insights podcast in early February. Join us for that. Meantime, please do rate, review and share this episode and subscribe to ICAW Insights on your podcast app.